1: Hello, and welcome to the Economic and Business History channel. I am Paula de la Cruz Fernandez, and I'm your host today. I'm a historian of gender and business, and I'm also a host and editor in the New Books Network in Español, which I encourage you to listen to. Today, we are meeting Dr. Lydia Pine. Welcome, Dr. Pine. It's wonderful to be here. Dr Pine is a writer and historian interested in the history of science and material culture. Her writing has appeared in The Atlantic, Nautilus, Slate, History Today, Hyperallergic, and Time, as well as Archaeology. She is currently a visiting researcher at the History at the Institute for Historical Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. In 2019 she published Genuine Fakes, How Funny Things Can Teach Us About the Real World, with Bloomsbury. And today we're talking about her most recent book, Postcards, The Rise and Fall of the World's First Social Network, published with Reaction in 2021. I want to start the interview by asking you to tell us a bit more about yourself and your professional career. What inspired, what made you become a historian?
0: I knew that going into graduate school I was interested in history, in archaeology, in sort of big questions of material culture, how humans use things, how we think about things, how we think about objects, and those sorts of things. Um, and so by the books that I write and the questions that I'm interested in pursuing in these books, I think tend to, tend to circle around these questions of humans and how we think about stuff. Um, and so uh, a previous book um, that was sort of a precursor to postcards was Bookshelf, which is a cultural and object history of bookshelves that was published by Bloomsbury in 2016. And um, a lot of the resources and things that I ended up exploring um, for postcards were inspired by, the, by this uh, bookshelf project um, that I had done previously.
1: Wonderful. Uh, what in, so then what inspired you to write postcards? Um, what was why postcards?
0: Why postcards? Yeah, so there are a couple of different it's such a great question and there are a couple of different threads that I became really interested in um, in exploring. And so like I said, um, in 2015, I was working on the research and writing of, post, or of bookshelf and I found myself at the New York Public Library. Um, looking at the history of industrial institutional bookshelves and doing some behind-the-scenes tours of, of their bookshelves. And while I was there, um, I happened to come across, it was completely sort of by accident, it was serendipitous, I came across their collection of postcards. And it is this amazing, amazing room. It's a car, It's a room full of card catalogs that are just collections of postcards. And I started looking through these postcards and just sort of thumbing through them and it was such a, <clears throat> excuse me, it was such a transformative moment to think about all of these messages that are being sent and received, and here they are, sort of all collapsed into this this amazing collection of uh, of postcards in card catalogs, and it felt like I was almost reading. Text messages or messages in bottles from a hundred years ago, and <clears throat> I was so intrigued by the idea of this, this, these kinds of short communications that were that were saved and we could read as part of the record of material culture. Um, so I, so I sort of filed away the idea that I would be really interested in exploring a object history or. Uh, material culture kind of history of postcards uh, later on. And then in 2019, 2020, um, I was able to pursue this project with reaction. Um, I would say the other thread that was that was really inspiring to me um, about the book were the family history and personal postcards that sort of came out of the woodwork. Um, so when I started talking to my extended family about, oh, I'm working on this project about postcards, Wow, people had saved a lot of postcards, and so people would just send me these boxes of postcards. Um, and on one hand, it was super—it was super overwhelming because now, now I have all of the boxes of postcards. <clears throat> what do I do with them? Um, but on the other hand, it was amazing to see just how incredibly varied postcards could be. That we—that um, I had family postcards that had been sent. Uh, from Mexico in the 1890s. Um, there were postcards um, that uh, that had been sent in Europe in the mid-20th century. There were postcards that were, you know, from California. And it really, just in looking through um, the giant scope of how these objects looked, I felt like inspired me to pursue the project, pursue postcards, in a way that was not... Um, that could be bigger than just, here's the history of one particular printer, or here's the history of one particular style of art on postcards. Um, I think that there are a lot of postcard histories that do that, and they're incredibly valuable and interesting to be able to do this deep dive through one really specific thread of postcards. But um, sort of having these two experiences of of having um, extended family sending sending me postcards, recirculating the postcards, if you will, and then um, having the New York Public Library um, collections, it felt like um, it helped me. It helped me shape the interest in looking at postcards as a giant class of artifacts.
1: So interesting. I wonder if there is uh, an archive for um, Twitter messages or iMessages. Like, how are we going to? You know, how are we going to? Study these messages in the future,
0: right? <laughs> because because is, I mean, yeah. the the messages that I w- that I was reading, you know, my great grandfather's postcards. It's like, oh, I'm coming by train on Friday, or right. you know, thinking of like they're in, they're, It felt like um, it filled the same sort of linguistic niche that text messages or iMessages do today, or the tweets or Instagram posts or all of the different all of the different social networks that we use. Um, <clears throat> it felt like you could sort of trace them through these old postcard lines, sort of, sort of network by
1: network. So your book starts with a period in the history of postcards that you labeled postcard craze, and it is connected to this moment in U.S. in the U.S. post office's history when the institution survived um, a severe financial crisis in the early 20th century. Um, could you tell us a bit more about this period and how postcards became postcards?
0: Sure. So the story of the U.S. Postal Service sort of being saved by postcards was pieced together by a historian, Daniel Giffords, um, who documents that in his work with postcards. And when I came across um, his work and I came across the story, I was so struck by this um by this, this kind of way that postcards are able to leverage this giant institution, um, out of its financial misery and being able to, um, and being able to sort of turn a profit two years later by 2011, or excuse me, by 1911, uh, postcards are really sort of helping the the U S postal service, uh, run, run in the black for the first time, like in forever. Um, and so, again, i it was I felt like a really formative um, episode that I was able to come across because it helped me think about the scale of postcards. And that's been one of the things that I really uh, wanted to connect with readers and audience audiences about postcards is the sheer scale of what um, this communication medium was about. and and I felt like the story of uh, of the u s. Postal Service being, being saved by postcards, I felt like was such a great example of um, of the sheer mass and scope that postcards had at the beginning of the 20th century. And so, sort of around that um, around that framing, um, I had the opportunity to dive into all of the different social um, <clears throat> and political infrastructures that facilitate sending cards. So, you know, everything from stamps to printing to the postal service actually delivering um, delivering postcards. Um, I was able to trace different historical threads with those.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about that? Perhaps um, the, the the history of uh, of the printing ink uh, to the printing press, and um, you know, kind of that life cycle of postcards.
0: That was one of my favorite things, honestly. To dive into was the um, was a history of of ink. And paper and how ink and paper come together in this really sort of social way. Um, And so, yeah. So one of the examples that um, I dove into for this was the story of the Curt Teek and Company, which makes some really classic Americana kinds of postcards. Um, And it was fascinating to learn about uh, how ink adheres to to paper in different sorts of ways and what are innovations that are necessary in ink chemistry and ink technology. Uh, And the same with paper that that sort of facilitate ink being able to stick onto postcards. And and sort of with that, it prompted me to think about the questions of what is print and how do we think about print and how are postcards part of this print, this tradition and this history of print. Um, And so in talking with historians, historians of print, um, they were able to sort of help help point me toward the idea that print is social. and from the from there, um, <clears throat> it was really fun to dive into the questions of postcards being participatory media. Um, and that's one of the things that I really was excited to take away from this project and to think about was the idea that people have to participate in postcards, whether it's buying them, whether it's sending them, whether it's writing the messages, that fundamentally I came to think about postcards as as this participatory
1: print media. Right, and it, it is also uh, part of the history of industrialization. Um, it's, so what is the um, country that uh, could be perhaps uh, pointed to as the... Um, Kind of the origins of uh, post- <laughs> uh, postcard printing.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's one of those really funny questions. It's a great question, and it's a question that everyone has. But it's sort of like, well, what is the first postcard? Mm-hmm. And I think trying to pin down the first of things gets really—it's—it feels like it should be so straightforward, and it ends up being kind of kind of tricky. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so a couple a couple of contenders here. Um, there is Theodore Hook in 1840. Uh, who comes up with a postcard um, in England. It's sent as a bit of a joke. Um, And so that's sort of one of the the contenders for a first postcard. Um, However, Dr. Emanuel Herrmann of Vienna um, in the 1860s um, is sort of considered uh, more of the inventor and the sort of origin point for postcards being sent uh, continuously through the through the mail. And in 1869, the Austrian Postal Department issues regulations about what can go on a postcard. And so we really sort of by the late 19th century, we see postcards absolutely taking off. But again, you sort of think about, well, this idea of participatory media or filling in the blank or things like that. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that was really fun to to trace with that was to look at the history of printed indulgences and to look at how indulgences, when they were uh, printed, would have this blank space to be filled in. And again, it's sort of, it was really, it was really fun to dive into these questions of where does the idea of filling in the blank come with media? And so, yeah, we had these examples of early postcards from 1840 or 1860s, but the, I think the precedence for that can be traced back hundreds of years
1: prior. So let's go to the shipping part. Well, you know, I'm very interested now that you're talking about the message um, (laughs) about, because there's not so much a space to write in a postcard. Who who decided the the right... The right size of postcards.
0: (laughs) Well, there are a series that, again, it's such a a fun question. So there are a series of regulations that are developed um, in the last century and a half, almost 200 years, of uh, what can go where on the postcard. And so the original postcards did not have printed pictures on them, that they were just simply, uh, they would be more akin to like index cards today. Um, And so... Uh, the the idea that there's this divided space on the back, there's a picture, then there's a divided space. Maybe there are some printed lines for the address to go on. These are actually rather recent developments in the history of postcards. <clears throat> but the really fun part about this is that the message is, is semi-public. It's not sealed in the same way <laughs> that like a letter um, sort of has this imbued sense of privacy, but the postcard in some ways, is a really sort of um, a really sort of performative kind of object to send because anyone who who finds it can read it, and so um, in the in the sort of initial parts of in the initial days of postcards, there are examples of um, some European governments that uh, are very strict about. What kinds of messages can go on postcards? What can be censored? What's appropriate? What's too what's too racy or too saucy to put on a postcard? Um, and so yeah, so it's it's not just the images that are sort of open for public consumption or public censorship. It's also the messages that are going on the back.
1: Right. So in terms of uh, shipping, I was I was super curious about the global aspects of aspect of uh, of postcards, and that's one way. Um, you know, you talk about it is how, uh, where did these messages go and where did they come from? But but also in terms of organizing to ship that, like, there has to be a place, there has to be an address, right, where to send that postcard.
0: So, yeah, um, I'm trying to think. There are a couple of different ways to sort of dive into the question. Um, and so... There are definitely a couple of interesting tracks to follow with the development and formalization of addresses. So for example, some of the family postcards um, that I was looking at, it just says, you know, send to Robert Bowles Guthrie, Indiana. And that's, you know, that's enough to get great grandfather Robert, his postcard. Um, whereas there are other one other addresses that are, you know, sort of, as as we urbanize and as as you know we get tor- closer toward the 21st century, we see um, addresses become more specific and more formal with that. Um, but in terms of of sort of shipping postcards around and shipping them here and there, um, I think that the mo- for me personally one of the most interesting aspects that have come out of that. Was to think about them in terms of imperial or colonial lines, and looking at what images and postcards are being sent where and how, um, under the auspices of um, colonial empire and tourism, and who is sending what where with that.
1: Yeah, I do. I I, I did enjoy very much that section about how um, you know this idea of power and the way. Um, imaginaries, right, are created, um, imaginaries about the other are created uh, through postcards. Can you talk about the images and and what creates uh, the other through postcards?
0: Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of really interesting themes in terms of art history or in terms of colonial gaze or things like that, that are sort of going into the idea of what ought to go on a postcard. And I think it plays into also the idea of, of sort of the exoticism of tourism at the beginning of the 20th century and, and sort of the idea of, oh, I went to this, this place and here is what I as, uh, <clears throat> as a tourist expect to find. And so the postcard is going to, I think, pander to not only the sender, uh, the sender's preconceptions, but also going to, I think, play into the recipient's expectations as well. Where it's sort of like, oh, look, this really is how other people live. Or it look, it's sort of like the postcard becomes a bit of um, photojournalism, and and not and not sort of a a bit of propaganda or uh, colonial propaganda in and of itself. And so I think that there's a real blurring of that in the beginning of the 20th century. And some of the examples that um, that came up were really interesting to. Think about in terms of uh, who, whether permissions were given for putting images on pictures, where the images were being printed, uh, where images were coming and going from. Um, but as you say, there's a lot. There's a lot about colonial power to unpack that goes along with postcards.
1: Yeah, I think actually some of the, I mean, most of the uh, images that you saw are, are um, of women, right, and of women doing traditional um perhaps labor in these countries uh, that no longer exist or in these countries that are now part of, of our market right um, uh, with especially in the Middle East for example and um, that makes me go to the next question about um, corporations and businesses using postcards, uh as a you know as a way uh, to advertise them so for example you use Kodak right and I, I would love for, um, uh, if you if you can talk I'd be a bit more about it but actually I mean postcards were what is the difference between trade cards and postcards now that I can that I think about it because I've done you know research on Singer and Singer had this um, these trade cards which is different right uh, but I wonder if they could also be used as as postcards, and they also did lots of postcards in different countries. So um, can you tell us about postcards and advertising? (laughs) Sure. And I think
0: that that's one of the most interesting and implicit parts about postcards is they are advertising, right? The picture is advertising a connection, whether it's real or imaginary, between um, people and place, between sender and recipient, um, and I think that Kodak is able to really capitalize on that um, in the early 20th century. And I think that one of the big strengths with the Kodak um, with the Kodak postcards is that they're able to sort of put the image creation in the hands of the photographer. So rather than having um, corporations or companies that are printing, like the Kurt and Company, um, Americana postcards, rather than having these companies print images and mass, the same image in mass, a Kodak camera allows a person to take a picture and then to have that picture printed on a postcard, that it actually is, <clears throat> you know, a, a photograph printed on this postcard card stock. And it, I think, is interesting because it democratizes the um, the postcard the postcard image um, production, but I also think that it um, begins to walk this really interesting line again of the sort of nascent days of photojournalism, and particularly at um, the beginning of the 20th century, a lot of areas of conflict, whether it's uh, the Mexican Revolution or World War One, a lot of times these uh, these uh, they're called real picture or real photo postcards. A lot of times, <clears throat> excuse me, these postcards, these real picture or real photo postcards are are doing a lot of social work in conveying the this is how it really is. And I think that there I think that 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 sort of realness of the picture becomes a double-edged sword.
1: All their images in postcards are, for example, international events and you talk about the Mexican Revolution uh, being, you know, being one, I guess you could talk about postcards being one um, way to inform the public about different events going on um, internationally. Um, how can you say, for example, how the Mexican Revolution was portrayed in these in postcards?
0: Yeah, these were fascinating postcards to to dive into. Um, And so the postcards that I came across um, and that I used to to think about this particular section and sort of the themes of propaganda, how are postcards, real picture postcards used to create propaganda, um, it became fairly clear fairly quickly. That in the case of the Mexican Revolution, the photographers, the American photographers who are producing, taking the pictures and producing these postcards are doing it really to pander to very jingoistic or very, um, very sort of American national expectations. Um, they're not flattering. They're not particularly um I'm trying to think of the word appropriate. Um, and so a lot of them, I, I was very uncomfortable reproducing, um, in the book. Um, I felt like that they were that, um, a lot of the postcards would show hanged bodies or executions, or they were really, really quite horrific. Um, and so it was, it was interesting to see, <sighs> the the sort of um, the sort of whiplash that occurs between here is a postcard that's of executed <clears throat> of of executed people versus here's this postcard that's sort of you know a bright cheery touristy kind of kind of image and and to look at again to sort of going back to the point that we were talking about at the beginning to realize that postcards as a medium can cover that entire gambit of of experience and communication. Um, but I think, in in general, I what um, the the experience of looking at the Mexican Revolution postcards um, and realizing which postcards had been um, manipulated or changed, um, sort of in their in their printing process. And looking at the research that historians have done with that, it made me feel a little bit more skeptical, maybe, about some of the images um, that are produced. And I, it made me appreciate how much uh, or how easy it is to give real picture postcards kind of a pass and to say, oh, yeah, it's a picture. This is real. This is how how something happens. But to realize, again, that it's that it's framed, it's it's a curated kind of kind of image.
1: Hmm how mu- how many in- how much uh what's the percentage of uh political or like um international affairs um images as, uppo- as opposed to perhaps uh touristy uh images or um or oh my less goodness. i guess less <laughs> political right
0: um, yeah oh my goodness it's such a it's such a good question and i'm a little hesitant to try and venture I guess about the about it. Um, I guess the the best sort of factor uh, factoid that I could offer uh, with that would be um, that historians estimate that in the first two decades of the twentieth century, something like two hundred billion postcards were in global circulation. Um, and so I think I sort of come back to the okay, humans have made two hundred billion postcards. That's a lot of different images to put on them, and so um, I, I think that I would just sort of rather than try and venture what percent venture a guess about what percentage is political versus what percentage is this you know sort of floofy tourist whatever. I think I would just leave it at I I think I have seen pictures of just about everything on the postcard. Right. <laughs>
1: So let's go back a little bit in that process, in that life cycle of the postcard, and let's focus on the um, companies, uh, manufacturers of, of postcards. Who eh, who cura- curates or decides? Uh, like who is the editorial board that says this image goes in, this this image doesn't? In this in this uh, companies.
0: Um, and so, in the example of uh, the Curt Teek postcards. Um <clears throat> there are some really interesting um, archival images that I came across that sort of walked me through how a postcard was made. And so it starts with a photographer and ends sort of with with an editor. And it doesn't seem to be a particularly... Um, involved process. It doesn't seem to sort of have a committee of, Oh, here's all of the, you know, here we're, we're going to sit down and we're going to, we're going to vote on which postcards, but there does seem to emerge an aesthetic for different companies. So uh, the tuck and sons postcards are going to have a sort of particular kind of image that is associated with them. The critique postcards are going to have a certain kind of image that's associated with them it, they almost become their own genres Um, I would say in sort of a more sort of art history kind of way. And so I think that what becomes, um, I think more than sort of who is deciding other than the photographer or the sort of person or the people that are in that sort of image processing process, um, I think that it becomes sort of how does the evolving aesthetic of these different companies um, sort of solidify and give
1: people what they've come to expect from those postcards. I'm going to ask you later, what was your favorite uh, postcard? but <laughs> Oh no, my,
0: that's, that's like
1: my asking fa- me like a favorite kid or something. I know, <laughs> I know, but I will. Uh, my okay. favorite <laughs> my, my favorite one was uh, actually about where the series, you can also answer that a series of ones, <laughs> but my, the women uh, choufras uh, movement one, oh, I yeah. really love them. Yeah. So can you talk? about uh, how, you know, how did you approach these ones?
0: Right. So the the women's suffrage postcards were really, really fun to dive into. And I ended up pairing those with um, the other propaganda ones that we've talked about, that I wanted to explore the theme of how postcards are part of publicity and propaganda. Um, and so everything from, you know, global conflict to to the women's suffrage movement. Um, And so, with the suffrage movement, again, sort of, we see all all styles and genres and kinds of postcards that go with the suffrage movement. Everything from uh, color printed images of sort of artwork to you know, sort of get out the the sort of hundred year ago get out the vote kind of kind of propaganda to real picture images that are you know, sort of showing. Look, here's this rally. Here's this parade. Here are people. You know. Uh, trying to uh, trying to raise awareness of the women's suffrage movement, or trying or trying to to show how, this is how I'm participating in that. Uh, what was particularly interesting to me about the women's suffrage postcards was the point that um, the idea that buying a set of these postcards uh, could be co- was considered participating in the movement. Like, oh, here I'm buying the these postcards. I'm um, I'm participating in the women's suffrage movement. Um, and it became a way of sort of demonstrating um, from a consumer standpoint that, hey, I'm, I'm sort of buying this, but I'm, I'm buying into this movement as well. And that was a really interesting, that really sort of changed my my thinking, I think, about that. I'll also um, point out that for as many um, women's suffrage postcards there as there are, there are uh, Equally as many anti-suffrage postcards, and so the propaganda—the propaganda for that goes both ways. Um, that again, they can be the sort of horrific cartoons, or they can be whatever whatever sort of anti-suffrage position somebody wants to put on a postcard. I can pretty much guarantee that it's that it's been on that postcard. Um, so again, it was it was a really sort of useful way to for me to think about what does what does it mean for propaganda to be able to exist en mass and the the media for this the postcard is just the media and the message the message is sort of specific to different groups
1: so okay so what which one was your favorite postcard and also which one was Maybe the, you know, the message that made you laugh the most or the message <laughs> that made you cry, I don't know, something that was very, um, you know, uh, surprising while you researched um, postcards.
0: Yeah, it's the, and I I, th- I like your point, though, about that postcards have this sort of personal, emotional kind of connection, that they peak this, these, these connections. Um I think the one that I had to laugh the most about is one that I included in the introduction where it's a postcard that says, Hey, we missed you at Sunday school. And it's like this printed postcard that's sent to someone to shame them for not going to church on Sunday. And I just, I, it just made me laugh that it's just, you know, we hope to see you next week. Um, and I just found that incredibly, incredibly funny. Um, I think the most poignant postcard that I came across was a set of embroidered postcards from World War I that my great-grandfather brought back from France. And the postcards are that there's sort of a three-dimensionality and textile, uh, there's a textileness to them. Um, And that was really fascinating to see and then to see how they had been saved um, for, for over 100 years in the family. Those I felt like were really, were really fascinating postcards.
1: Yes, they, they might, I, I have not seen an embroidered uh, postcard, so I would love to see that. Um, in that, in, in relation to that, about the kind of afterlife of postcards, because um, it, the same thing with Christmas cards and things like that, I have a hard time saving this, Um. I do have, you know, and I'm a, I'm a historian, I have a box, with, <laughs> yep. you know, that I say, this is my archive. Yep. And so I save things that, that I know I'm going to want to look at them, be f- you know, afterwards and I want to kind of have, I, and I want to have to show, you know, people in the future that, yes, this is how we did this and how we did that. Um, but there's so many, I can't, you cannot save all, right? So Tell us about your research projects and how, you know, besides, uh, you know, what other, uh, besides your personal postcards and the New York uh, Public Library, you know, how, how can we access postcards now and um, how, what, how people save them and, and, and institutions and so forth?
0: Yeah. And so there are really, there really are, is a sort of interesting split, I think, in how people have saved old postcards. Um, And so one is institutionally, like we were talking about with the New York Public Library. Uh, Fascinatingly, uh, people, patrons can actually go check out postcards the same way you check out a book. Um, And some of the librarians were telling me that uh, design students or art history students, for example, will check out the postcards to be able to to work with with projects and things like that. Um, uh, Other big libraries like the Newberry Library in Chicago um, have a massive collection of the critique postcards. Um, and there's also been um, a mass movement to put a lot of these digital collections online. Um, so the New York Public Library, in addition to its several rooms with with postcards, with physical cards, um, it has an amazing online collection. Um, the same with uh, welcome images in the UK and other other sorts of institutions. Um, there's a real push to sort of put these, these postcards online. Um, and I think that the interesting split between... The physical card and the image online is for some of the online images, um, institutions will only will only put the front of the card, the picture, Um, which is which is, I think, sort of it gets it lets us get at the art history or the sort of um, image, the image questions of the postcard. But I feel like we end up missing a lot of the the message that goes with that. Um, and so, uh, in my own research for the book, I ended up using uh, a collection, or um, both both types of both types of postcards, digital scans as well as um, physical collections. Um, and then I finally had to tell uh, my extended family that that I was done with the project, and nobody needed to send me other more, any more boxes, shoe boxes full of postcards that that were good. Um, But what was really, what was really sort of interesting and poignant about it though, is a lot of older relatives had said, oh, I saved them because I knew that somebody would want them someday. Or I knew that I just, I'm so glad that they're going to a project. And so there's, there was a real sense that they were going to be important. And so I saved them. Um, and then there was a lot of, I think, sort of gleeful cheer that it became somebody else's thing to store.
1: Um, right. But Did you, you donate them to an no, I work? no,
0: okay. they're, they're still on my shelves in these shoe boxes. I because I, the same the same logic is oh, I can't get rid of them. They're important. These are family history, and so <laughs> and so yeah. I just need to get another set of shoe boxes. I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Awesome. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time. And I wanted to um, end the conversation by asking you, what's your current project?
0: Oh, my current project. Um, Yeah, so I am currently uh, wrapping up a a short book project about endlings, E-N-D-L-I-N-G-S. And it is the last known individual of a species. Um, so it's a very different, it's a very different kind of project than postcards. Um, but I think that if I were to, to sort of pick the, the thread that postcards will, will continue for future work, I think that it would be through the, the uh, questions of ink or pigments or things like that. That was a really interesting, that was a really interesting thing to dive into.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for uh, connecting with me today.
0: Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for your time. It's been so much fun to chat.
1: And thank you, everyone, for listening. This is the New Books Network, the Economic and Business History Channel, and your host, Paula de la Cruz (laughs) Fernández.